Washed Up Emo sponsors New Belgium Brewing are celebrating their 30th anniversary as a company. To celebrate, they're releasing Wild Ride Amber IPA, a happy tribute to their iconic fat tire. Even better, New Belgium Brewing are giving away bikes and gear all year. Find out more information by visiting newbelgium.com. Do you ever wonder if your favorite band is emo? Tired of being in the same conversation with friends? Not knowing if you're listening to post-hardcore, screamo, emo revival, emo emo violence, even ska. We're We're here here to to help. help. The Emo Council is here staffed and ready for any question you may have. Hey, Emo Council, just wondering if Green Day was considered an emo band. Thanks. Green Day is not an emo band. Okay. From the creators of Washed Up Emo, isthisbandemo.com offers the definitive answer to the only important question of your day. Hey, is this been emo? Welcome to episode 109 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I'm Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. Dan Didier from the Promise Ring Maritime, Vermont, and currently Dramatic Lovers, was a huge part of the recently released documentary Don't Break Down. To find out more about his experience helping make this film a reality, we spoke on the phone while Dan was at the water park with his girls. Also, I recorded a portion of the Blake Schwarzenbach Dan Didier Q&A at the end of the screening recently in Brooklyn. It's a little hard to hear some of the questions, but you can figure out the answers by what was asked. Apologies for my loud laughs or writing my questions down on a piece of paper. Through all that, I thought it was worth hearing Blake's answers to playing more shows, his favorite songs, etc. Hope you enjoy and go see the documentary if you can. Learn more at don'tbreakdown.com. This is episode 109 of the Washed Up Emo podcast with Dan and Blake talking about the Jawbreaker documentary, Don't Break Down. I tell you this because as an artist, I think you'll understand. Uh, yeah, finishing up the film, sent that out, uh, to, uh, you know, a bunch of screenings kind of, it's, it's weird because like this whole thing has been very DIY, like we don't have a distribution deal. I'm trying to figure that out. And it's just been setting up these one-off screenings. Um, you know, so it's just very much like booking a tour, <laughs> you know, where like, you know, the deals are mainly, you know, 50-50 door splits, <laughs> you know, just like, a, you know, like, a, you know, early, early touring experiences. Uh, so, yeah, no, it's been, it's been interesting that way. And when did you um, get, when did you first get involved in it? Um, I mean, it was like, Yeah, two, two and a half years ago, I I get a text from Barry Polterman, who's the co-founder of September Club and, you know, basically my boss. Um, It just said, do you know Jawbreaker? And which is like, I mean, he's a cool dude, like super cool dude, but like it's weird to get a text about Jawbreaker from him. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, he likes good music and, you know, he's been into punk and like all that stuff, but for whatever reason he didn't, that one is that sort of escaped him so he wasn't really he didn't know anything about them um that's so how i responded like yeah I, you know like i like, i know blake the guy you know like the singer guy and blah 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 so he calls me and he talked to me about tim Irwin, uh reaching out to him 
uh, because he had all this footage that they've been trying to edit for the last, you know, at that point, you know, whatever, eight years, seven years. And, uh, the, he was interested in seeing if we would want to edit it. <clears throat> and so I was talking to him a little bit more and then, you know, he said, yeah, and I guess there's some footage of them playing together. And I was just like, all right, we're doing it. He's like, yeah, but it's not a lot of money. I'm like, it doesn't matter. We're doing it. If they're like, if there's documentation of them playing together, we're doing it. <laughs> um, so then I, uh, so yeah, then, I mean, the, the money was, you know, there was basically very little money. I found an editor um, to do it and uh, then, you know, then kept everything else pretty, like, pretty much, you know, as inexpensive as possible, you know, like just sort of like who can ever, who can do what, you know, I did some motion graphic stuff on it. Uh, every, you know, I would just find people that would want it that were fans or either like, or, or could work for cheap. Um, and yeah, we just got it done. It took, you know, it actually took us, it didn't take us that long to get to a rough cut, but we did start over. They, they had a 90 minute cut, but, um, so we watched that once just to see like, okay, what did they do? And what, like what, to, and to get a sense of what footage was there. And so after we watched that, we never really went back to it. We just started over and, uh, and the, with the goal of trying to make it not like a PBS, like informational, like this happened, then this, then this, then this, uh, we wanted to kind of dive a little bit deeper and get more into, uh, uh, the relationships between the members and the, uh, uh, and what it, you know, what it actually takes to like be in a band and the emotional toll that it can have on people, you know, like we try to dig deeper into that sort of thing. And, um, so yeah, so yeah. So then we've just been working on that, uh, you know, for the last two years, we got a rough cut, like, and sent it out to some festivals that didn't take it, uh, two years ago or last year. And then this year I did the same thing and no, nobody really took it it to uh do any festivals like kind of got rejected by all of them what did they uh, say when they reject it like that seems you would think there's a jawbreaker fan you'd think there was a jawbreaker fan somewhere yeah i mean we would try to eke out every possible scenario that we could um but then it just so happened that alamo draft house uh tim league from there reached out and was like hey why don't we just premiere it in san francisco and then i can we can you know reach out to the other draft houses across the country and just see who wants to screen it, blah, blah, blah. So then it just sort of like, yeah, let's just do that. You know, so that's how that happened. And then I've been just, you know, then since then I've just like been feeling uh, emails from people reaching out to the site and, and Facebook and stuff to be like, Hey, <laughs> let's screen. You want, you know, you want to screen in Dallas? <laughs> Sure. <laughs> I get you what know, you mean so about think, the booking a tour. It's like you're getting it's the, exact, That's crazy. It's, yeah, so weird. Yeah, I don't know what it is with this. That it's, it's you know, like, it's just hard. It's like, no, yeah, I don't know. Like, it seems like, you know. I mean, because one thing is like, I, I thought like, well, you know, if we just start doing a bunch of screenings, then I'll get picked, you know, like there would be an excitement built up and then maybe that might help and whatever. So, you know, we'll see. Um, we'll see what happens. I mean, the uh, response from you announcing the San Francisco thing, that was crazy. Yeah. 
Sorry, I'm at a water park with my girl. That's amazing. <laughs> what's the what's yeah, the uh, what's the warning over the intercom? Uh, something about seven. I think it closes in at seven p.m. or something. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, no, we're trying to eke out the last bit of summer, so I'm just walking around and. You know, I put a t-shirt on, but I'm just walking around in a towel around my swim shirt. <laughs> I did a, I did a quick couple of runs down the water slides, and then I waited for your call. Yeah, the, the, um, Dad, where are you going? Don't worry about it. It's just this thing. <laughs> yeah. So uh, no, they're from, we, uh, a friend of ours is here with her girls or her, her boys. So like you know, they're they're out hanging out, so it's fun. Okay. Um, but no, the uh, yeah. So it's just yeah. I mean, it's like. It's sort of a no-brainer because it kind of has this built-in fan base, you know. Um, so all these different see. places have been independent screening pl- or in- independent theaters that have said, "Hey, we heard about the San Francisco." Yeah, thing. I mean, besides, I mean, like Alamo's been, yeah, like the screens at Alamo, you know, that's you know, pretty big national chain. But all the other ones are just like, hey, you know, I mean, it, you know, it's anywhere from like a DIY like sort of, you know, squat in Slovenia to like, you know, uh, you know, an Alamo draft house and, you know, in San Francisco or whatever, like it, it runs the gamut of like art spaces and, and theaters, you know, I feel um, like the title that you gave yourself in the, in the uh, credits, you're, you're probably listed a lot more than I probably realized you did a ton of stuff. Yeah. But well, I mean, I started as sort of like, the post-production supervisor. So like I was going to just do the edit, like manage the, the, the post side of it. Um, but then when Keith's health, uh, got worse and worse and he was un- unable to work on it. And by the time we, right around that time, we had a cut where we were pretty happy with it, but found the hole in it. And so we're like, Oh, you know, no, we need to shoot more. So then it was just like, you know, somebody has to do that, you know, and, and Tim is, you know, has been, been busy as a videographer for like, you know, that's just what he does. So he's gone all the time. So then, yeah, I just sort of like started doing that, setting up shoots and then like working out all the other stuff. Um, so yeah, it's just sort of like, it, like my responsibility to the film became more and more as like, you know, because there wasn't a lot of money to begin with. So like I had to do a lot of things that, <laughs> uh, I could do because I, I mean, I haven't got a cent for this film. You know, I didn't want anything. I thought I would work for it for free. Um, and I gave all the money to the editor. Uh, and then everything else is just sort of like, you know, just hopefully getting paid back at some point, you know, for the company, you know, not me personally. How DIY um, is that though, Dan? I, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's just been a labor of love for sure, you know, this, this whole time, uh, you know, but, but I mean, it's like, but also like the, the, I was, you know, there's sort of a drive for me to do this because I mean, they've to do it for one Keith, um, and also Tim, who's been working on it forever. And just to be like, this is what, you know, like what we do at the September club is like, we, that's what we do. We, people come to us with like, we've tried to edit this. We can't help us, you know, like that's what we do. We solve that sort of, <laughs> sort of problem, uh, for, for people, uh, you know, like we were jokingly going you know, to call the company box of tapes because basically that's what people have. They have these like, Oh, I've got this box of, you know, tapes that I, 
you know, videotapes I can't, don't know what to do with, you know, all right, bring them on. We'll, bring, we'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that sort of thing. So it's like, you know, that was, and the drive is also because like this needs, you know, this has to be out like this, you know, it's an amazing band. Uh, I, you know, respect all those guys incredibly. That's just like, we just, it has to, it has to be done. Like, you know, this has to be completed. It has to be finished. And, you know, and, uh, and it's, it's just so funny for all the things that happened. Like one, you know, like you know, Keith passing away and then the band, fucking reuniting like the one thing that we was like a guarantee not to <laughs> not to happen you know happen you know <laughs> like shit so you know, crazy like, so all these things is just sort of like happened throughout the course of you know this project but and what's great is adam is such a great uh, like he was kind of keeping it alive with selling shirts or throwing up stuff on Facebook or, um, you know, it was memorabilia or photos. And it seemed like there was a little light there, but I never thought that the full stove would be lit and have everybody together and then playing shows. And, uh, what a great, what a great timing to have that happen along with not just you guys trying to get people to screen it, but actually have the band be visual. And after this riot fest, who knows what's going to happen? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, no, it's, it's totally crazy. And I'm going to have to say that Adam throughout this whole process was, has been like, incredibly incredibly helpful uh, you know obviously because he wants this to be done too just as much as all of us so we're just like you know so throughout the process like he's been great like he full access whatever we need you know he helped out i need you know as we were editing i'm like dude i need this or you know it would be really great if something like this you know if you, do you have this you know that sort of stuff um <clears throat> and he's been like great i uh, last January, I I flew out uh, to San Francisco last January, and you know, just hung out at his house and just scanned like his everything <laughs> I could possibly get from him, like photos and tour photos, and you know, any sort of like you know, ripping DVDs, like whatever he had, I just like got. Um. So yeah, he's been incredibly helpful throughout this whole process, which is. Uh, you know pretty amazing do you find the similarities to you starting a band to getting this film out in the world <laughs> uh i never uh i don't know no I, well you're crafting the song which is the or the album which is this documentary you're going door to door you're doing the <laughs> people are reaching out to you it's not by letters or postcards it's or phone it's now email uh yeah you kind of doing it one by one it's not like you had paramount pictures call you and say all right we're gonna put this in every you know film forum place and you know it's yeah uh, kind of no, yeah that, that, would, that would have been helpful yeah uh, yeah no i guess it is similar to yeah it is sort of similar to that um that sort of idea you know yeah i mean the i mean not only because it's a, a documentary about a, a band and you know music's a huge part of it it, 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 it really does have a lot of similarities to you know, you know starting a band booking a, a tour like all that stuff yeah very similar and it's actually it's funny too because as we were working on it 
the similarities to that, that band and, and my old band were sort of, you know, like kind of some, at some points kind of eerie as well. Like what? You know, well, you know, like they're, you know, they put out, you know, <clears throat> four records. We put out four records. Our last record was the one that people were like, what the fuck? <laughs> Their fourth record was like, what the fuck? You know, the only difference is that I think, you know, our sophomore record and their, you know, third record were, the, you know, that was the only difference, I think, really. But it was just kind of like, you know, going through and be like, you know, like, oh, yeah, that's sort of like, I can, I can relate. I can understand, you know. And when I, and early on too, it's funny because when I was talking to Adam, uh, early on in the process, when we just sort of, just started getting started on this, you know, I had a nice conversation with him. Um, and he, a lot of the, a lot of the conversation was him asking me about how our, the promise rings like 2012 reunion went. Really? Said, yeah, so, uh, so uh, how did, how did that go? Uh, what, what was that like? Were you guys, you know, friends are like, <laughs> so I think, you know, cause I mean, you, 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 you know, there's no secret that all he wanted to do is get his band back together and like do what they're doing. Right. Like he must be super excited. Uh, but even back then, like you could kind of tell, like, you know, the, you know, much like his posts and stuff like that, it kind of like hinting at things or just sort of like just keeping the, the momentum going, you know, like it, that's just his personality. He's like very inquisitive that way, but like, you know, how did you deal with that? How was it like, you know, being in the same room again? Like all of these questions where at the time I'm like, you know, I just thought he was just curious, but then I'm like, Oh wait, no, <laughs> there's, a, there's, other, there's probably something more to this, <laughs> you know? So you have a hand in getting them back together. I like that. No, 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 I'm no, kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, not at all. But, but it's he just was funny. Like just the similarities. Yeah. You know, that's just kind of one more similarity of like, you know, of, that we have, you know, yeah. especially, you know, be both, both drummers, like, you know, that's, you know, like there are a lot of similarities. So you know, it's always the, you know, it's always the singer that's holding the band back. <laughs> drummers always ready. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and we're, uh, the drummers are always the business people. They're always like the, the guys that are like ready to do whatever, whenever, you know, so they are kindred spirits. Uh, yeah, I love that similarity. Now, what's your hope after uh, you've got more screenings coming up? Is this going to be iTunes and uh, you know, yeah, I mean, streaming I, and all that I mean, stuff? Yeah, I, all, I, all I want is for to get like a to get a deal, a streaming deal, really, because you know that's that's all I really care about. Like. If it, you know, if we would get a distribution deal for another theater run, that'd be amazing too. That'd be great. But in all honesty, like it just, I just want a streaming deal. <laughs> I mean, I know it's like, you know, like the simplest, you know, we think would be the easiest thing, but like it's, that's all I really, I think it's, because then I just want every, I don't want to set up any more screenings. I mean, I do, but I don't <laughs> in a way, you know what I mean? It's kind of weird. Um, it's, I want, I, I'm more than happy to, and I, and I love doing it and, and I want people to, it's, but it's the, like the point that I want as many people to see this as possible. So like, whether that's, you know, if it, it, you know, the, the idea would be just a streaming that you like, go here, you know, watch it. <laughs> yeah. What, what would you want people to take away from 
the screening or what would be motivation for them to see it if they're a fan? Like why 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 should they go see this or or stream it? Yeah, yeah, no, I I I feel like it's I mean, I feel like we we were successful at making a very tight, concise story of their relationships in the band. Um, and I, you know, and I feel like they're, I mean, that's what I, I, would, I would hope people would get something out of it. It's, well, I mean, actually the real goal of, doing the film when we first started is when, especially when we saw the 90 minute cut, we were like, okay, well, this is, that was good, but it, it was sort of designed for, or, or, you know, kind of geared towards people who are already fans. And so then when we thought about it, we were like, well, we would rather have a film that anybody can watch at any time and get engaged in the story who you know may or not be fans or then or after they watch it will become fans and so that's the real success of the film is if you know if fans watch it and love it awesome my real goal is if non-fans or people who've never heard of this band before watch it and become fans or even if they don't become fans at least appreciate the story and enjoy the story and you know uh you know that sort of thing then i mean that's the real success, I think. Not that we like didn't want to like we didn't ignore like their fans when we were editing it, but I think we wanted we're trying to seek something else, you know, and to have so it more anyone, broad, of course, yeah, 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 and have anyone who could watch it, you know, and so the, and that you know, so anytime after a screening or whatever, like anyone who you know, anyone who says no idea about this band. I just, I just kind of showed up. I don't know. This, my friend brought, dragged me in to see this, you know, that sort of thing. Like, but like, I loved it. It was great. You know, like, you know, that sort of thing. Like, oh, I'm go back, listen to all this stuff now. Like that sort of stuff like that, that would be the real success for sure. fight and we were on this lawn in or rural oregon somewhere and in addition to scott and anthony trying to pull us apart we had we had driven chris had driven up onto the lawn of a fraternity and all these brothers came out and started were about to kill us <laughs> so in the midst of our failed attempt at a fight these all these like surly guys came out and surrounded us and started screaming like yo what the fuck you know <laughs> and it was just even was even crazier yeah. moment than yeah. gets told and then somehow uh, everyone got us back in the van and we sped away so i just wanted to add that <laughs> the dvd extra right there yeah, exactly. little, extra little <laughs> was there any other narratives or like stories in the film that, that had to go for one reason or another to, to kind of get well, it to I mean, it's state? only a 74, 77 yeah. minute film. Like, obviously, it could be four hours. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the idea was to make it as entertaining as possible and as concise as possible. So, yeah, there's moments that we, you know, it's like in the editing process, it's kill your children. Like, you had to get rid of yeah. some stuff to, for the better good of the story and entertainment, I guess, you know. 
Um, so Blake, were you were you part of the the uh, East Bay scene? You know, in the early '90s, it was. I mean, at the same time, you had Neurosis, Green Day, you guys. You know, Crimp Shrine, um, then Iconoclast, all very different at the same. Did you realize at the time uh, when you went on tour, like how special that was and unique that was? Uh, when you went to other cities and saw what the scene was like there? Um, yeah, we knew it was a really great community of bands. A lot of those bands came from somewhere else, too. Yeah. Little Rock, yeah. Arkansas. And I yeah. mean, Mink, yeah. listen, I'm the original East Bay because I was born in Berkeley. Yeah. So I was in that shit in, like, 67. <laughs> but then... But no, yeah, like, uh, I think Jawbreaker met Econochrist on t our first tour in Arkansas, yeah. Yeah. where they were the hometown heroes... And then, happily enough, we we ended up living in the same city in yeah. Berkeley, Oakland. Rhythm Pigs moved. A lot of bands went went there, and it was just uh, curious at the time if you realized how it was uh, what a unique. Cause from the from the east to the east coast, it looked like it was just this vibrant, and it was when I went there and saw it. Right. Yeah, I sense like the the real affinity between ABC No Rio, Gilman. Like we always felt at home when we got to New York because you were there. Other. It was the same group of people who would come out and say hi, and your show would have a lot of people there who knew what you were doing. And then there were those the flyover country in between, which was incredibly strong. I mean, the scene was, it was the humanity was really strong, but the organization and the kind of uh, numbers weren't there. So yeah, but it was a it was a uh, what do they call them now? A, um, I want to say surrogate, but that's the wrong word. Uh, Sanctuary city. <laughs> the East Bay was kind of a punk sanctuary city, as was Lower East Side. So, uh, also from having toured since back then, uh, from when you had a book tour with letters, and, and then you continued touring to now where there's GPS and cell phones. Have you noticed uh, the shows being different when you go different places? Uh, if, you're, if you're doing these smaller shows, the same kind of vibe, or you think it's it's changed now? Uh, playing now, you mean? Yeah. yeah. Um. I don't know. The music's the same. Making music is always going to be the same. The, the documentation, all that kind of constant, you know, documentation is is different. But I just don't think music making can be changed, even by Toshiba. You know. <laughs> Does anybody have a question? Yes. Um, so you. Jawbreaker's obviously influenced a ton of bands over decades, and we got to see a couple of covers at the end of this. Are there any particular covers of Jawbreaker songs from different bands that you really resonated with or that really struck you? Well, Adam's sister, Kembra, who's kind of the star of this film, I think, <laughs> she did a cover of Ache with a one-string guitar in her bath, as I'm told, in her bathtub on the Lower East Side on cassette that is so harrowing. Like, you think the Julian Baker thing is scary for its for its passion and honesty. Kimbra, I think, um, is in Why that... Why wasn't I had allowed access to that? That's the, that's the true crime here. It's like one of those paranormal activity movies. You know? So that was really imp impressive. I love when people cover our, our songs. You know, I, I think it's so cool. So that that one really stands out to me. She was always our, our biggest booster. Gave us credibility in the art scene, you know, which is it's hard to get. Yes. Yes. Uh, what's the likelihood of a New York 
Okay. <laughs> Chuck, we've got a, about a 95% chance of that happening. <laughs> if we don't, if we aren't burned alive in Chicago in two weeks, you know, if the, if the Illinois clan doesn't come out and just, I don't know, if we don't totally blow it, then I, I think we're going to try and we want to do more. And obviously not have people make a destination, uh, not have to pay that kind of money to see us. So hopefully, yes. What was the lead up and process to get to this point where you, you wanted to work with them again and, and play together again? What was the, the, the lead up to the process which changed from then till now that like, uh, how, did it, how did you come to this point where you're gonna, you're gonna play a show again together? Are you already halfway to show? I think we're just ready to do something um, it didn't it seem like why not? Again, you know, it's kind of like the Geffen thing in the movie. It's like no one thought that was going to happen, but really didn't know what else to do. That's probably not a good answer, is it? It's not like it's not like you know, save America. Or Time passed. That's not going to happen. America's over. You know, job breaker isn't going to help it. We're we're going to be the tight the band on the Titanic. You know, when the, the, we're just going into this, the empire is collapsing, and we'll just be like, eh, it's been fun. <laughs> yes. Uh, if Jawbreaker hadn't broken up, do you think Orange Rhyming Dictionary would have been like the next Jawbreaker record? Or do you feel like that never would have been a Jawbreaker record? I'd like to think that the last song on Dear You, Unlisted Track, kind of cues the Jets record. Like that weird psychedelic, what I like to call psychedelic. <clears throat> I feel like there's a continuity there that goes into that album that followed it. And I, yeah, I mean, hopefully those songs would have been perfect for Jawbreaker too. It just happened with another great group of musicians. So hopefully some of them, I like those songs. <laughs> but I was happy that, you know, it was very fun to Jets to Brazil. It was like a really fun band for us. So it was uh, that. Yes. Uh, which me? Cool. Oh. Uh. You can go first. Awesome, thank you. Uh, I loved the old footage. Um, I think that really helped put us in that moment because back then it was hard to, I mean, everyone has a cell phone now and I love watching those shows where no one had a cell phone. And so you guys documenting was important because I don't think that was happening. Did you guys realize it was, if, if it was Adam or who in the band always had the camera? Because, I mean, that was expensive back then and being able to shoot all that stuff and getting to go, getting to go through it. Did you have fun doing that? Yeah, you know it was Adam. I mean, he he's a, f a cinephile. It's appropriate to say that here. He's always loved film and known film really, really intimately. And he had, I mean, we loved making tapes and the band, like we would do our samples and stuff. Everyone had contributed to that, but Adam really is a documentarian and an archivist. So he had... He seemed to know how to do that and just use whatever available technology there was. And but to have it for the film was great for to be able yeah, to. Yeah, I mean that. that was great. Uh, yeah, I mean it was like knowing that we had that at our access was especially the um, truck stop stuff was. Yeah, it was like I'm amazing. More like that. all that stuff was just like you know it made it a lot easier because what you know because we were playing around with a lot of different stuff throughout like even the fight scene at one point was all animated. Like we had like these 
people like animate the band fighting. You know. <laughs> God, next. But, the, uh, but you know, like, but so like having anything that we could use to help tell the story visually, and especially themselves shooting it, you know, was yeah, it was great. So that definitely helped. And I mean, Adam has been like great uh, along this process of like providing access to that sort of shit, you know. So that was really helpful. Cool. Yes. Are we writing music? Yeah. Trying to. We're, we've got a lot of catalog to work on for this extravaganza so it's, it's mostly been like remembering parts and you know finessing the catalog but hopefully there will be some riffs will show up <laughs> yes in the back we're gonna go to Skokie after the festival of peace. fill up at the riff station <laughs> They did perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. Back row, yes. Oh, yeah. So, after so much time has passed, have have you uh, like looking back on the backlash about the Geffen album? Like, have you like how do you in the rearview mirror? Like, how does that strike you now? I I think it's it wasn't as drastic as it comes across in the film really i mean we talked about this as a band people didn't really sit with their backs turned to us i think that was the feeling which we all participated in we felt guilty like we knew we had done something wrong a little bit you know i had gone back on my word i i was aware of that and so we were already kind of a self-loathing group of people um, but I you know I don't care about it it was a little painful the first years I got to New York to see the band growing in popularity that I had just left and then to see the kind of pop punk explosion the commercial explosion in the early 2000s I guess or the late 90s see people get you know swimming pools and stuff for really mediocre like barbershop quartet <laughs> shit music. That was a drag. That was a drag, you know. How do you really feel? <laughs> About the B sharps? <laughs> but I know I'm I don't um I don't know. It seemed um I'm fine with that now. <laughs> it really Thank is. you. I like the album. Yeah, we we liked it then. We like it now. I guess it's a weird kind of slow justice, you know. Like you don't revel in it. You don't feel vindicated, really. But but it's nice that it found its audience, and it's fair in a way. I think albums should and often do take ten or five years, or you know, the whole mar the market concept of like. You put out a great record and everyone goes, this is great, and they buy it. That doesn't happen that often. Like, a lot of records are slow burns and, you know. So I, I know I love some of my favorite albums were not initially uh, even listened to, really. It takes a while. And I'm okay, I'm okay with that, you know. I'm not into this instant.
gratification thing. Obviously, I'm 50 years old. <laughs> Still waiting. <laughs> Anyone else? Yes. I guess lately, Jet Black of the Jawbreaker songs, Accent Prone or Jet Black, the bigger pieces from that album. When we play them now, they feel really satisfying. Yeah. <laughs> Those were high risk songs at the time, like making the record, like, can you do this? I remember when we were recording Jet Black, Rob, Cav I was singing the chorus and Rob Cavallo, the producer, was said was in the control room. He said, "I don't believe you." And I was singing. I was singing. I am Jet Black, and he was like, "I'm not buying it, man." And he kept like poking me till I finally did one, and he's like, "Okay, okay I, I, I think you are Jet Black." But it was a really hard thing to do. You know, it's just like very minimal lyric, very big, simple guitar part. It's what we call walking the plank. So now I'm I'm happy about that that it was take that chance. Yes. Everything we're not playing at, at Riot Fest. So many of them, yeah, yeah. Just because you're a weird little band and you you play guitar in your own way, and so I couldn't figure out lots of those things. There's just welter of notes and like, yeah. Like, Bivouac is a very entangled record, note-wise. I, I don't know what was going on in a lot of that stuff. <laughs> Anybody else? One more. Come on, one more good one from somebody. Somebody else has something to say. Nobody. There we go. Yes. Which of the two... Which two bands um, I don't know it's kind of the same thing to me just as another set of songs to figure out and play I'd be happy with either one but I got a Jawbreaker's my first love so sure Jawbreaker record those are my those are my guys you know look at what we went through <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm going with a pretty open mind and really good antidepressants. So just kind of a take it as it comes fella now. You know, we're following Dinosaur playing You're Living All Over Me, which is a, is a big a big deal. Um, hopefully we're not just mopping up the stage after them. But I, I think it'll be fun. I think people want this and, you know, they want to feel good about something. So hopefully we can create some peace and space and for a moment, again, as the ship sinks. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes. Uh, you just said a second ago that some of your favorite records are records that you've had to sit with for a while and maybe didn't, weren't that excited about it at first and then later grew on you. Um, are there are there specific records of bands that 
whether they come from like punk or hardcore or, or whatever that comes to mind as examples of that? Like specific albums? Or am I putting each of them in the spot? Might as well. Yeah. <laughs> I can't, I can't really, I feel like naming one is giving it too much or, you know, but honestly, all of them, the ones I, I stick with, I didn't love them right off the bat. Just, it just took a while till it clicked in. Yes. Uh, this is a weird question. Um, I interviewed nice setup. outside of Bard College in 1995 uh, for my zine. It's actually the first interview I ever did, so thank you. Um, and after the interview, my, me and my friend said, oh, will you play Kiss the Bottle? And you said, no, we don't play that song. And then we went to the show, you guys played, and you looked down at us, and then you yelled, kiss, and you guys played Kiss the Bottle. Was that, was that really, was that spontaneous? I've, I've been dying over 20 years. If it was planned or spontaneous? Yeah. Like, were you planning to play Kiss the Bottle and then we all just thought that you played it for us? I don't know, I don't think we were toying with you. Well, you were so like, no, we don't play that. You're like, you were setting the expectation. And then you guys played it. I mean, it was the it was the highlight of the night. But it was, I was just, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I don't know. It's been a while. I'm not. <laughs> oh, I'm just glad that we did play it. It's rare that often we couldn't and and didn't do that, and people left people kind of frustrated. <laughs> Anybody else? No. That's a good one, Dan. Well, thank you guys so much for coming, and thank, thank you guys for sticking around. And, up emo fans thank you for listening to this podcast over the last nine plus years or if it's your first time welcome it has flown by and i appreciate each and every one of you for listening and for this current episode you're about to hear i do have a favor of you i have some books out right now called anthology of emo and volume two was released last fall i really think you'll dig it if you haven't heard of them it features guests from the podcast including jim atkins from jimmy world chris conley from saves the day travis shuttle from piebald and john bunch from sensefield i've also reprinted volume one so you can order both check out the diy publishing at anthologyofemo.com